Welcome to Race Wife Unfiltered with Rachel Thornhill. She's a corporate tech baddie by day, bougie dirt track wife and crew chief by night. This podcast takes you along for the ride through the ups and downs and left turns only of being a mom, wife, manager, crew chief, and all the titles in between. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Race Wife Unfiltered. I am your lovely host, Rachel Thornhill, and it is episode two of our podcast. We're making some headway here, guys. Uh, so if you were here for episode one, I did a little background story on how this podcast came to be. And I also mentioned something that I wanted to elaborate on in this episode. So I mentioned how I wanted my voice to be heard, right, in this massive universe that we have. And, um, and because I feel I really bring something to the table that I can bring something to the table. Pretty much I'm building a table and I'm inviting all you guys to join it. Is this something new? This is something that, you know, isn't really done. Um, And so I want you guys to take this journey with me. So, um, yeah, so most people are probably like, okay, so who's this girl that we don't know who the fuck she is and what does she have that no one else has, right? Well, I'll put it to you this way. Um, I wasn't always this talkative. I wasn't always, um, the person that had this type of self-confidence. This is, um, I'd say probably about 30 years in the making. It took about that long for me to be confident in my own skin. So I grew up the shy, innocent child that had to grow up too fast, um, I was pretty much that child that felt like they had to be the caregiver of everyone. Um, Pretty much the family manager, but I didn't want to (laughs) be. And I mean, I think most, I think most people, most, I should say most daughters that are the oldest, I'm the oldest of three, um, of three girls. Um, We tend to be kind of like the family manager. It's handed to us, but we didn't ask for it. So it's kind of like you feel obligated to be the one that takes care of everybody and everything. And you end up being the one that supports everyone, but not everybody supports you. You end up being the one that ends up being the emotionally neglected one um, because you're you're. You're the, you know, you're the oldest, you're mature for your age. We don't really have to watch you, you know, that type thing. Um, You can pretty much take care of yourself. Um, You become very hyper independent, right? And um, (laughs) unfortunately, as an, whenever you try to have relationships with people, once you get to be older, you realize that living that way is pretty fucked up, but you don't realize it as a kid. You know, you were just that kid that was quiet, you know, never caused trouble. You didn't really do anything. But then it's like later on when you finally start to try and come out of your shell, um, you end up being the rebellious one and you and you end up then you start causing trouble. Then there's something wrong with you. Then then when you defend yourself, you know, oh, you're you're too much. Right. Um, You end up just being the child that is overthinking and and not um and making everything about you right so uh, that's kind of how my childhood was and so growing up as an adult it it's like i had to kind of unlearn a lot of things um that I did as a kid because it's like you know when you're trying to have a relationships with people 
you can't really have that mentality anymore. So you can't make everything about everyone else and not take care of yourself. And that, and that was the issue with me. I had no self love. Like I, I lived my life for other people. Um, people pleasing was a, is a major thing that I had to really uh, like unpack as, as a, as a teenager and also as a, as an adult, because I was always trying to avoid confrontation with people. Um, because it's like, if people aren't mad at me, they're happy. Right. But that didn't always make me happy. And I thought that that's how my life was supposed to be. I thought that I wasn't supposed to be, cause I mean, not everybody's happy all the time. Right. I mean, we all have our problems. I mean, there's going to be days where you're going to be sitting there crying your eyes out, eating, eating like a bowl of ice cream, right? Watching a sad movie or, or something, screaming your head off because, you know, you've just had a really shitty day. Um, but it wasn't like that. Like, you know, I guess my, my expectations for the real world was unrealistic. So, um, (laughs) It's funny because now that I think think back on it, it's like, why as a kid was that person my role model? So, okay, like I'm dating myself, right? But, you know, obviously I was born in 1986, right? So as a kid, you know, most, most kids were watching, you know, cartoons and all different kind of stuff back then, whether it was shit like ABC morning cartoons, like recess and, (laughs) and stuff like that. Well, like my role model at the time was Julia Roberts. Okay. And I loved like everything about her. Um, and the first, movie that I ever saw her in was Pretty Woman. Okay. First of all, at my age at that time, um, I was too young to be watching Pretty Woman, but obviously I snuck, I snuck around sometimes and watched stuff on TV, like on HBO and Cinemax and stuff when I wasn't supposed to. Cause you know how, um, sometimes on those cable boxes, there was ways to get around, on there and actually pick up channels that you shouldn't have been picking up. Um, and that was one of them. And I ended up watching pretty woman, not knowing the background story on the actual movie, because now looking back on it, it's like, so I really like kind of was basing my life, like my adult life that I wanted to live off of, uh, her character in pretty woman. Because the thing is, um, growing up, I had, and I ended up damaging my hair after a while, but I had very, I have very curly hair, right? And as a kid, I, you know, I, like, I didn't really love my hair, you know, I I hated it. And because it, it, it just didn't do what I wanted it to do. And it just, it didn't always look good. And also, granted, you guys. This was the 90s. This was the early 90s. Um, I didn't have access to the hair products that I have now. You know, um, now at 36 years old, I'm really just learning now how to take care of my curly hair. Like back then, my mom was having to do it. And let's be honest. And and don't work. And, and like, I'm not hating on my mom. But my mom didn't really know how to do my hair. My mom had pin straight hair, you know, like thin, straight hair. She didn't really know how to deal with hair. That's like, I'm kind of like a mixture of like three C four a hair. Like, so that was totally out of my mom's like spectrum of being able to do anything. Like, so she would mainly just like put my hair in like really large braids or pull my hair back in a bun because she didn't really know how to do anything. So like seeing Julia Roberts on TV, like with her beautiful curly hair and it's all, you know, kept up and everything. I was like, Oh my gosh, I want my hair to look like that. And then I 
you know, her, the clothing that she wore in the movie, I was like, oh my gosh, when I grow up, like, I want to have a wardrobe like that. And like, I want to live like the lavish lifestyle that she's living. Like I wanted to manifest that as a kid. I wanted to manifest that into my reality. Um, of course I didn't know what I was doing back then, but that, you know, that was my, that was like my goal in life was to be like Julia Roberts and to live like that. Um, and it's like, I kind of like wanted that to be my identity. Um, and because of that, I, like I said, that gave me really unrealistic expectations of the real world because I based the real world off of movies. And I wish I wouldn't have done that as a kid because that set me up for a lot of disaster later on in life because I, you know, like that was kind of what I expected, like even out of relationships with like men or um, men or, or women. I mean, I'll be honest, that's something that I never really talked about, um, was being a bisexual woman. Um, I only, I've only had one relationship with a woman. Um, that was many years ago. Um, and it didn't really go anywhere. (laughs) Um, but the thing is, I mean, I've always had an interest in men and women, but I've mainly been with men and I'm with my husband. My husband knows my background and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't like try to find a girlfriend or nothing. I'm not interested in doing that, you know, cause I love my husband and I'm going to be in a monotonous, you know, monotonous relationship that that's the way I see it. Like I'm 100% committed to him. But I've always been bisexual and I never came out. I never came out um, because of the fact that I didn't know how it would be accepted, like, or if it would be accepted um, by my family or by, you know, anybody. Um, That was just something that I, that I kept in the closet for a very long time. Um, And it feels good. To, to finally say something about it. I I haven't really talked about it at all. Um, because unfortunately, um, there's a lot of, there, there's still a lot of stigma around it. Um, and I mean, more people in the LGBTQ plus community are being accepted now, but when it comes to being bisexual, for some reason, there's uh, there's even more stigma on that because I guess some people just think that we're just like picking and choosing, like we're just jumping, you know, to both sides of the fence constantly just because we can't make up our minds. But that's not what it is. You know, it's just that we just tend to have a love for. For a lot of different people, you know, we and and, and that's OK, like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think, I think, honestly, I think a lot of us tend to be way more open-minded about like who we can love and who we can be with and, and stuff. And I think that, I think that's what make, makes us different and makes us, m- makes us really cool people. Right. Um, and I, I don't know. It's just honestly. And I think, I think that was another thing to you. Like Julia Roberts kind of made me realize that I did have crushes on women as well, (laughs) because she was kind of like my first like girl crush, I think. Um, And and trust me, Julia Roberts is still like one of the most beautiful women in the world, in my mind. And, you know, honestly, I think she I think she gets more and more beautiful with age. Um, But yeah, like. That was something that I just, I don't know, being a kid, being into, you know, movies and stuff and basing my life, like how I wanted to live my life off of that, it made me, with relationships, it made me want like that storybook, fairy tale type whirlwind romance that you see in like, these in all these movies and real life is not like that 
Um, real life is nowhere near that. And I think that gave me like really weird expectations going into relationships, um, especially with men. Um, I didn't have the best relationships with men. Um, pretty much, I would say from within my teen years, because I mean, I met my husband when I was, um, when I was 19, right? 18, 19. So I didn't have too much experience, um, in the dating scene, but I had enough because I mean, I, I wasn't a very committed person like in high school. I was for the most part, like a few of the guys that I dated, um, I committed for quite some time. Um, I'm not going to mention their names because, you know, I don't have permission from them to talk about them, but like, there's this one guy that, I mean, I dated him most of high school. Um, and then, you know, we went our separate ways. And then after that, that's when I kind of started dating outside of my high school. Cause it was, you know, it just made it complicated dating people that I went to school with. And so I started dating outside of my high school. I started dating someone in college. And unfortunately, um, huh, like our relationship wasn't the best, but surprise, surprise, I ended up pregnant, you know, um, and that is who my oldest daughter's father is. Um, now I'm not going to talk about the relationship that I have with him, you know, um, it is very like, it's not good. I'll be, I'll be real. But the thing is, you know, at the end of the day, he's still my kid's father. Um, and I'm not going to bad mouth him. Um, because, you know, that's not right. Um, at the end of the day, we were very young. We were both very young people. Um, and we were, I mean, we were reckless. Like we weren't practicing, like we were not prepared to be parents. And I made the decision to be a parent by myself. You know, I chose to be that single parent because he, he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. And, and I, and I totally get that, you know, I mean, we were young. I mean, I was pregnant at 18, right? Um, he was, he was a couple years older than me, you know, and he was in college and I had just started my freshman year of college. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't care what anybody says at 18, you're still a baby. Like, I mean, mentally, you're still a baby. Like you're still young. You're still a child. I don't care what anybody says, because the thing is like, you still don't have the maturity of a grown adult at 18 years old. And me trying to literally, um, raise a kid by myself at like I turned 19 in February of 2005 and she was born in May of 2005. So like I was, you know, 18 up into 19 when, while I was pregnant and gave birth to her at 19. And I'm telling you, like I was, I was so young and so naive and I thought I could do all of it by myself. And, and y'all, when people say it takes a village to raise a kid, it really does. Like the fact that I was trying to do all of that all alone. And the thing is my parents tried to help me some, but, but the thing is there, my, my parents and I butt heads a lot whenever I was being a, a parent at that time, because there was a lot of things that they, that they would tell me that I should do as a parent that I didn't believe in. Right. And, and the thing is, yeah. Okay. At 18, I felt, you know, they, they felt that I didn't know any better. Right. And I get it because I was young, 
But at the same time, there was just certain things like that, that mom intuition that kicked in where I was like, no, this doesn't feel right. Like, I don't feel right doing this, but I didn't really know how to explain it because I guess I, because I was so young, I didn't know what that mom intuition was like. Now I know it. And looking back at it, like looking back at everything that happened, I just had mom intuition about certain things. Like there were certain things, certain ways that I didn't want to raise my child. And there were certain things that I wanted to do that was not the norm for the way that my parents raised us. And, and that's okay because I mean, all generations raise their children differently. Right. Um, And so there was things that I didn't do with my oldest daughter that they did with us. And it felt bad. Like, to me, I was like, this just doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right for my family. And so I didn't do it. Um, And it's just like, with anything, like, you do what's best for your family and fuck the rest. And the reason why I say that is because there's going to be a, there's a, so many people that will try to tell you that you're not raising your kid right. Right. And I get if you're physically putting your kid in danger or you're actually physically harming your child. Right. Okay. That type of stuff. I, I get why people would step in, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that will tell you just undermine you for raising your child differently from the way that they raise theirs. Whether that ha- has to do with uh, one thing, junk food versus organic food, and then going the holistic route. And if you don't go the holistic route on certain things that you're a bad mom, no. Like we don't mom shame here because the thing is, And I'm living proof of it that the way I raised my oldest daughter compared to how I raised my youngest kid. And like I said, there's there's not much of an age gap between the two. I mean, they're only three years apart. But even in that three year difference, there's still a difference between the two of my kids because there's certain things that I did learn when raising my youngest child you know, things that, oh my gosh, I did that with my oldest. Why did I do that? Like, I should have never done that because things change, whether it's safety stuff, you know, safety stuff changes pretty much every year. You know, there's recalls on shit all the time. There's all these type of things that change. So between that and then like just parenting methods, like, there's even in the past couple years, there's been parenting methods that I've been doing with my daughter, with my youngest daughter that I didn't that I didn't have the luxury of doing with my oldest because of the fact that she well, one thing she had already left the house by that time. And um, and we just I was just kind of looking into other things on how to handle, you know, being a teen parent because, you know, yeah, I was a teenager, of course, but there's a lot of things that I didn't do as a teenager. I'll be honest. I was very sheltered as a kid, so there was a lot of things that I did not do. Um, my husband, on the other hand, did so many things like, you know, um, that he's like, I kind of know like if they're going to do something before they do it. And I'm not going to talk about his childhood because, number one, I don't have permission to do that. Um, But he did a lot more things than I did. He was a pretty rowdy teenager. You know, I'm sure a lot of boys tend to be like that. Um, But I I wasn't. I mean, sure, I I did rebel a little bit, but it was nowhere near like what some people do. Um. But that was because I was so sheltered. I actually rebelled because I started to see things like see the outside world for what it really was. And I felt I don't in a way as a teenager, I felt I felt almost betrayed. Um, And the reason why I say that is because it's like I felt like I was too sheltered to the point where 
I didn't know shit about the real world and I really should have. Um, and so when I got on my own, it was rough. Like, I will be honest. It was really rough. My husband and I literally like started out with almost nothing. Like I lost pretty much everything. Okay. I ended up having to file for bankruptcy. I was like $50,000 in debt, y'all. Like, I mean, it was bad. Um, because I was trying to live a bougie ass lifestyle as a single mom. You know, I was working. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had a good job. Like I was working as like, um, I was working in the accounting department of a fortune 500 company when I was 19. Like, so y'all like, this is not like, I didn't have like no small ass job. Like this was big. Um, and I was making good money and I had benefits and stuff, but I, I ended up losing it because I ended up pregnant again. Um, and that like, I pretty much got fired for being pregnant. Like, I mean, it's not a joke. Like they were like, Oh, you're like, not like you're, you're not showing up to work enough. And so they were like, um, you're going to have to like, you're going to pretty much have to go. So that, that was like a, a rude awakening for me because I had never, I had never lost a job like that. Um, and so I didn't know what to do. I had an apartment, like everything. Like I was going to lose my apartment. I was going to lose everything. And so I was like, well, um, I'm going to have to do something about it. So I, I was dating my husband at the time because I started dating him when my oldest daughter was six months old. And so, and at that time she was probably about one. And so I ended up, um, leaving my apartment. My, obviously I had lost my job and then I moved <laughs> with my husband. You know, obviously he was my boyfriend at that time. I moved in with him in a whole nother city. Like I left everything that I knew behind. Um, and that was scary. It was scary for me because I left behind everything I knew. Um, I was moving to a whole new place where I knew no one. Um, and starting completely over. But luckily for me, I had a really good support system and it wasn't even my family. Um, it was my husband and his two friends, which to me, honestly, they're family. Like, I mean, I've known them, um, as long as I've known my husband and I mean that they're like brothers to him, you know, they grew up together, um, where they're from and they all moved to where they were living at the time together. So, I mean, that, that was his family pretty much. And so they became my family and they were such a good support system for myself and my, my oldest daughter and, and him, you know, and when I say like we live, we all lived in a house together, my husband, my, my, my oldest daughter and, and I all literally lived in a room, like one bedroom. We shared one bedroom together and we stayed there until, um, until I got pregnant with my, with my youngest daughter like, that's how long we stayed like that. I mean, it wasn't, and it wasn't that it was, it wasn't horrible. It's just that obviously you can't raise, um, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of children in there. Um, so I was, once I found out I was pregnant, then we moved, um, we got our first place together, um, so it was my husband my, and I and my youngest daughter. 
We actually moved um, by LSU. <laughs> we actually live like right by the campus. And um, like it, and you know, it was a small, like little duplex, like a two bedroom, one bath duplex that we live, you know, we lived there. And I mean, we went from there to moving up to, uh, you know, a like a three bedroom, like older trailer, like out in the middle of nowhere. Um, after that, um, and then from there, like we just constantly like our situation just got better and better and better, and then we eventually moved to. Um, the Dallas Fort Worth area, um, and that kind of brings us to where, where we are now. So I got the job that I currently have working out there. Then we, we had to move back to Louisiana. They let me keep my job and, um, and so now we're six, we're six years later and, and everything's really good. Like it's, it's crazy how all that stuff happened. But see, my husband and I went through a lot together, not just, not just like on a financial level, but also on an emotional level. We both came from, <sighs> Our backgrounds are not the same, but we're but we were both wounded people. Um, you know, we both had that emotional immaturity. We both had, you know, many we both had failed relationships to where, you know, we really had to work on our trust for each other. We had to really work on not having some weird um attachment trauma bonds and stuff with each other. We had to really grow as people. And I'll be honest, it was a lot harder to do with having children already. So like, I will even recommend this to other people. If you're, if you, you need to work on yourself before you get into a relationship with somebody and you need to break those cycles of your weird trauma bonds, right? Before you have children, because it is so much harder when you have a kid because you're trying to be a good parent, but also breaking generational cycles at the same time. And, you know, you're like, Oh, I'm going to make sure I do better than what my parents did. But sometimes it's hard to do that when you, when you have not like untrained yourself to, you know, to not handle things that way. Um, when you've been brought up in it, sometimes it's hard for you to get out of that mentality and trying to unlearn all that stuff while you, while you're trying to raise a kid. And then you're also practically a kid yourself is rough. And I'm, I'll be honest, it is not, it is not an easy job and it is not for the faint at heart. That is something that I'll be honest if I could do it all over again, I wish I would have broke all those trauma bonds and everything. And I would have gotten therapy way earlier than what I did. Um, unfortunately, and, and it's still, it's still a stigma today, especially, um, when it comes to, uh, people of color and i mean and and that's another thing obviously you guys would be able to see that from the podcast cover but yeah as a person of color it's very that's always been a very um big stigma um and i didn't really talk about my background but my background, I would be considered Louisiana Creole. So with that, that means I am of African, Hispanic, Native, and French, French and Italian, 
ancestry. So, um, and we are an actual ethnic group. Uh, we are recognized by the federal government, everything. Um, and the thing is, just being a person of color, period, you know, there's a major stigma about mental health and seeing therapists and stuff. And and it's not just in the black community. It's also in the Hispanic community a lot too. Um, that, well, the Latinx community, I should say. Um, and so, um, a lot of people tend to not go to therapists and they kind of stay out of all of that. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately my parents had a stigma about it too. Um, therapy was just not a thing. It wasn't something that you really talked about. So when I went to therapy for the first time, and that was two years ago, um, and I kind of like unpacked everything. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I unpacked everything on my therapist. Like it, it actually brought me to a very dark place because I was like, I didn't realize how much healing I truly needed to do as an individual. And I was like, you know, all of this and then a bunch of like stuff that I had forgot, like repressed memories started coming back. And it, I mean, it fucked with me. And I, and now like, I'm such a huge advocate for like mental health awareness and, you know, doing things to help, like even my daughter with her mental health, you know, like if, if I see she's drowning, right? Like, I'm not going to get mad at her. I'm not going to be like, Oh, stop overthinking stuff. Stop, stop, you know, stop being a baby. Stop all that stuff. No, because you know what? At the end of the day, she's my kid and I'm not going to let her drown. Right. So like, it made me more patient as a parent once I went to therapy. Cause then I realized that a lot of things that I was doing with my children was being emotionally neglectful. And I didn't want them to grow up with that emotional immaturity. And because I needed to break that cycle in order for them to not live with that cycle to break. So I was like, you know, I realized while in therapy, I had a, when it comes to like masculine and feminine energy, I was way too much in my masculine, way too much, like to the point where I couldn't live the soft life that I wanted to. Like, I mean, most, a lot of women dream of that, right? Of living that soft life now, you know, being really in their, their divine feminine. And I couldn't do that back then because in, in all of that stemmed from me being so hyper independent and not wanting help and not wanting to like let go and just be chill. Like I couldn't chill the fuck out. (laughs) I'll be honest. And so I really had to work on that. And I noticed once I started to heal that wounded masculine and feminine energy, because I mean, my, my divine feminine was wounded, wounded. Um, once I, once I did that, everything changed, everything changed for me. I started to be, started being more confident and being okay in my skin. I started to love myself a lot more. And in turn, because I started changing, things started changing in my my relationship with my husband for the better, because it seemed like once I started healing my feminine, um, because it took me so much out of my masculine, it's like it made him softer as a person too. Like it, we almost like, it's almost like we, we both changed at the same time. Like I could see things in him changing because I was changing. Like we almost mirrored each other. And when I saw that firsthand, it's like, I could tell that we were actually able to help each other heal pretty much just by one of us healing and it it's it was insane just like 
seeing, you know, seeing that because honestly, and I kind of noticed this whenever, um, whenever I was talking to my therapist about, you know, emotional neglect and, you know, being emotionally immature. The thing is, in my mind, I realized something a lot of times, and it's not all, it's not all emotionally immature parents, but a lot of emotional immature parents tend to not like to see their, like tend to not like, their children succeeding or like their children, like doing better than them. Um, it, they almost have like this jealousy in them whenever they see their children breaking that, that cycle it. And I don't get it. Like, I really don't get it, but it's true. Like if you think about it, a lot of times that's, you know, that's what it is. It's jealousy. Like, that's why they tend to not really want to have much to do with you once you start evolving. Once you start leveling up, your emotionally neglectful and emotionally immature parents tend to be left behind. And it's it's sad. Like, it shouldn't be that way because, I mean, you're their kid and you would think that you your parents would want to be proud of you for doing what you're doing. But at the end of the day they have some type of resentment towards you for doing better than them. And, and I don't, uh, and it's, and it's weird. Um, and the other thing is too, and I noticed this is that a lot of times when you're, when you are emotionally immature as well, right. Um, and that's part of the reason why, like, sometimes you'll have bad relationships eventually until you eventually get to a good one. If you were raised in an emotionally immature home, right? And and this might not be everybody's experience, but I've kind of I've seen it with other with other people that grew up with emotionally immature parents. And so, if that's not your experience, I, I mean, I'm glad for you. But I've kind of noticed like a pattern. But if you grow up with emotionally immature parents, a lot of times until you break that cycle, you tend to pick partners that have a lot of the same traits as your emotionally neglectful parents because of the fact that you you haven't broken the cycle. So you think that that's what you deserve, right? You think that you deserve that type of treatment because you've been treated like that your whole life. And it's sad because if you've been brainwashed to think that you deserve that type of treatment and that type of love, then you tend to stay in it until you realize something goes off, like some type of light bulb just goes off and it's like, hey, what the fuck? Like, I don't deserve this shit. I don't deserve to be like constantly sabotaged by my partner I don't deserve to be like constantly like living almost in fear because if I say anything that's going to upset them, you know, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to like try to fix things or whatever. Like you can't, it's almost like you feel like you have to worry about the other person's emotions and that those the way someone reacts to what you say is not your problem. And I had to learn that. That was something that took me a long time to learn. I like y'all, when I say I literally learned that two years ago, I learned that two years ago when I first started therapy. When my ther like that was what my therapist told me. She's like their emotional reactions are not your problem. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't assume like how somebody's going to react, right? Like you can't automatically know how someone's going to react to what you say, right? But if you're speaking your truth, that's what matters. If they don't like what you say, that's on them. That's not your fault if they react the wrong way or they react the way that you didn't really want (laughs) this to go. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. 
And that was, that was a hard thing for me to understand at first, because I always thought that everything was my fault. Like if someone got mad at me, I'm like, Oh my God, it's my fault. Like maybe I shouldn't have said that because then they wouldn't be mad at me. No, they could have been mad at me no matter what. It didn't matter what I was going to say, because some people will be mad at you no matter what you say, whether what you say is good or bad. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if they have ill feelings towards you, that's not going to matter. It's not going to matter what you say. Um, and that was something that I really had to learn. And I guess that that's why, like, it was always hard for me to speak up for myself because of that. Because a lot of times, and I know these words get thrown around a lot, gaslighting and narcissism. But when I say I literally had to deal with real narcissism from partners, previous partners, and even like friendships and, and, you know, um, even family relationships. I really did. Like, it wasn't a joke. Like I was gaslighted a lot by a lot of people in my life over the years. And so it made me feel small, right? Like they would tell me, Oh, you're like, oh, that didn't really happen, even though I know what happened, right? Or, oh, you're just overthinking. Or, oh, you're just being defensive about everything. Like, you're all, you're making it all about you, and it never was about you, right? No, like, if I'm speaking my truth and you're making me feel small, there's a problem. And if I have to constantly feel like I have to defend myself to talk to you, that's an issue. Um. And that was something that I never really talked about. Like, I just kind of kept all that to myself. Um, and this episode made me realize that, like, there's a lot of people that are treated this way and it's not right. Right. And a lot of people don't talk about it because this is what causes a lot of adults to self-sabotage themselves because it's almost like. At the end of the day, like you think that you're not good enough because you've been treated like that by people. And I had to learn that I am good enough. I am good enough. And how I feel about myself is all that matters, right? And if I can't love myself, how can I love other people, right? Because you have to give a part of yourself whenever you get into relationships or whenever you have friendships, right? You know, but if you're constantly being the one that gives all of yourself to other people, but they don't give anything in return, that's a red flag. And that means there's an issue there. But I noticed once I started to love myself more, a lot of those friendships went away. A lot of those people um, that were um, kind of sabotaging me in life went away. Because I wasn't giving them any ammunition. So I wasn't complaining about my life. I wasn't I wasn't saying anything bad about my partner. I wasn't saying anything negative. I was being positive. Now, was I getting close on like on the verge of toxic positivity? Almost. But <laughs> I did dial it back. But the thing is, I just didn't share any of the negative things with them. Because I knew they were using it as ammunition, right? They were using it as a way to fuel the fire because that was their way of being able to get back at me because it's like, oh, you know, and I, I realized that at first I didn't realize it, but that was the only time they wanted to talk to me was whenever they wanted to rant about something or whatever. But anytime any, anything was going good or like, I just wanted to talk about good things they would shut me down real quick. And it's like, they were energy vampires pretty much. And, and I realized that and I'm like, you know what? No, I've got to start taking care of me now. So I start, when I went to therapy, that made me realize that. And then when I started taking care of myself, it's like, Oh shit hit the fan real quick. People started leaving my life left and right. But that shows that now I have way more room at the table. And when I say I have room at the table, I have all the room at the table because now I have no friends. The only friends I have, it's my husband and my, and, 
and my daughter. Like they are my family and they are my friends. And we're practically on a desert island by ourselves right now. Like that's how it is right now. Um, and there's plenty of room at the table now. And to be honest, I would love to have other people join that, join that table. Um, if, you know, if they're willing to step up to the plate, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to bring any of those type, you know, any of those people that are just going to add fuel to the fire and end up making me spiral into like a self-sabotage thing again, you know, I don't think that would ever happen because now I'm in a good place where I love myself more than anything. And I love my, my husband and my, and my kids and, you know, but I'm willing to let new people into my inner circle, inner circle. And we'll see, you know, who that ends up being. Um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that change. And you never know, maybe it could be one of you guys that's listening today that can end up in my inner circle one of these days. Because when I, when I say I keep a small inner circle, I keep a very small inner circle. I don't let very many people come in, but I do that for a reason. Because let me tell you something, once you're in my inner circle, and I mean a true friend, like a very true friend, you're my friend for life. And that's how I treat people. And, and And that'll never change. All right, guys, that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Once again, I, I thank you for staying for the whole time. And as I've mentioned, um, every episode comes out every Thursday. So um, make sure that you, that you stay uh, tuned to this journey. And uh, I appreciate, I appreciate all of you, every single one of you. And uh, yeah, make sure that you subscribe and follow, you know, follow this podcast and, and please, if you could leave a review, I would love to hear from you. Take care and see you guys next Thursday.